So ordinarily in, in this time, we would, um, we would have our uh, confession of faith, and then one of our elders would come up and pray for our church and for our community and for the nations. I'm just going to incorporate those two things um, into, our, into our message this morning. Um, but we're going to be in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13. John chapter 1, 1 through 13. Uh, and keep your bulletin handy uh, because we will confess our faith together with that passage that is listed there uh, in the bulletin. John chapter 1, uh, 1 through 13. For most of us, uh, the holiday season uh, involves family. For some of us, that means a, a flood of great memories of traditions and celebrations and interactions that we want to repeat and that we want to reproduce. For some of us, it means a deluge of disappointment and painful memories of unmet expectations of unpleasant interactions or difficult circumstances that we dread repeating and we want to avoid reproducing. From, for some of us, it means loneliness and sadness as we grieve hurt or loss or separation or isolation. For most of us, I think family at the holidays is a mix of all of that and more. And we all have experiences with our family, with our natural family, that involves, I'm sorry, that informs the way that we think about family. And Christmas seems to heighten that one way or the other. So we all have interactions or experiences with our natural families that informs the way that we generally think about family and the holiday season. Christmas seems to heighten that one way or the other. For most of us, it's complicated. And what's encouraging when we come to the Bible is that we see the families involved in this grand narrative, this great story of redemption that God is telling in history. What's encouraging is that the families that we find in the Scriptures have the same complexities and difficulties that our natural families have. Some good, some bad. Some maybe more of one, some more of the other. But the truth is that none of the families in Scripture are perfect. One of the reasons that I'm so thoroughly convinced that the Bible is God's Word is that it is so honest about the people that are presented in the Scriptures. And none of the families in the Scripture are perfect, including even Jesus' own family. But the story that the Bible is telling is about the Creator God seeking to bless all of the families of the earth by making His own family from among them. And God does that not by calling people out of their natural families, but with their natural families into His spiritual, global, eternal family. God's promise to the first person He called to be a part of His people, to be the beginning of His people was, I will be God to you and to your children. Now human beings were originally created as part of God's forever family. 
We were created to enjoy God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as our God, as our Father. But we walked away. Through the sin of our first parents and our sin in them, we emancipated ourselves from the fatherhood of God and alienated ourselves from the one family relationship for which we were created. And we didn't just walk away from God as our father. We actually joined another household. We joined the household of God's enemy, of Satan. And the scriptures tell us that we became children of wrath. And God would have been right. He could have left us there in alienation from Him and from all that is good. The alienation and separation that we earned. He would have been right and just and good to leave us there. But the story that the Bible tells has a point. And that point is that God loves us. And He loves us even in our sin. He loves the children who don't want to be His children. He loves sinners. God loves His enemies. And in love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit pursued us to bring us back into God's forever family. And how did He do that? How did God reach into a broken and sinful world and restore into His family those who had emancipated themselves from His fatherhood? Well, if you look in your bulletin, you'll see Galatians 4, 4-7. through And this is our confession of faith this morning. And so we're going to read it together. How did God bring sinners into back into His family? But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The story that the Bible tells, the story of Christmas, is the story of how God is making His forever family. He does so by sending His Son to be born one of us, fully God and fully man, so that He could be for us our substitute, so that He could live the life that we were incapable of living in our place. So that He could die the death that we deserved in our places to redeem those who were under the law. The law could do nothing but condemn us because we violated it at every point. Jesus satisfied the righteous requirement of the law and took the punishment that we deserved, rising again on the third day in victory over all of our enemies, Satan and sin and death forever, not only to give us a spiritual victory, but to adopt us into God's very family. ARP pastor and theologian Sinclair Ferguson says this, this is the way. Not the only way, but the fundamental way for the Christian to think about himself or herself. Our self-image, 
if it is to be biblical, will begin just here. God is my Father. And I am one of His children. His people are my brothers and sisters. I recognize the family to which I belong and have discovered my deepest roots. The fundamental way that we are to think about ourselves is I am God's child and God is my Father. And that means that everyone who has God as their Father through Christ is my brother and sister. This is the family to which I belong. This is my place of deepest roots. And our series this Advent season is called A Back Creek Family Christmas. We who trust in Jesus belong to a big family. We belong to a global, eternal family. But it comes to us in local, physical expressions. One day, we who are in Christ will stand before God and before the Lamb among a multitude that no one can number from every tribe and language and nation and people group ascribing all glory and honor and praise and adoration to our God. You look forward to that? But we're not there yet. And until we get to that place where we are one with the entire family of God and we will spend eternity meeting each other and hearing our stories of the glory of Jesus in our lives, we get to do that in small, local faith families like this one. And for us, Back Creek Church is the local faith family into which God has called us. And so our focus over the next month will be on celebrating Christmas together as a family. And how will we do that? Well, I think that the way that we celebrate Christmas with our natural families has a lot in common with how we uh, observe Christmas and celebrate Christmas as a faith family. So some of the ways that we celebrate with our natural families, we gather, we celebrate we give, we receive, and then we go. But the key for our faith family is to realize that, that these special opportunities presented to us in this season aren't just available to us in this particular season of the year. As the local expression of God's global family, we are called to gather and celebrate and give and receive and go, not just once a year, but every single week as God calls us into the gathering of His people. We call it Sunday or the Lord's Day. So what we want to do at Christmas is re-engage with these healthy family priorities and rhythms as we celebrate Advent so that we might grow as a family in 2022 and beyond, recognizing that there is a day every week that is more important than December 25th every year, and that is the day belonging to the Lord because that's our family reunion. And today we're going to look at the Apostle John's telling of the Christmas story. It's quite different from the narratives that we find in Matthew's account or Luke's account. It doesn't start with a genealogy or with a birth narrative. Instead, it starts with God 
before creation in His eternal plan of redemption. And what we're going to see in this passage is that Christmas means we're family. Christmas means we're family. So look with me at John chapter 1, verses 1-13. through 13, And if you're able, I'd ask you to stand in honor of God's Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's thank the Lord for his word this morning. Oh Lord our God, we thank you for this word that you have inspired and preserved and appointed that we should read and study today. Lord, I pray your blessing on your word for the sake of your people. Lord, that, you might, that we might be who you have made us, redeemed us, and called us to be as your family. And Lord, we pray for the members of our family. There are those who are not with us, and we ask that you would be with them. Or there are those who are hurting, and we ask that you would minister to them. There are those who are sick, and we ask that you would heal them. Lord, there are those who are struggling, and we ask that you would provide for them. Lord, we love the family that you have given to us called Back Creek Church. And we pray that you would minister to each individual household's needs. But Lord, that you would also meet our needs as a faith family. That we might be about the business that our Father has called us to. That we might be about connecting people with the hope of the gospel. Lord, that we might be about that in our neighborhoods with our neighbors as we greet them. Lord, let us not be content in this season to say a passing Merry Christmas. Lord, help us and give us opportunities to tell the story of the God who is with us. And Lord, we pray for our missionaries who are on the field. What a blessing it is, Lord, to, uh, for them to bear that call on their lives to go to the nations with the good news. And through them, we participate in making disciples of all nations. And Lord, we ask that you would meet their needs as well. For those who have to be on the field during the holidays, Lord, please bless them. May their celebrations be uh, satisfying and joyful. And Lord, may they see new people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and become part of your family through their ministry. Again, we thank you, Lord, for this time together around your word. And we ask that by your spirit, you would do what you have promised to make your word effective in the lives of your people. For those of us who 
have received Jesus and who believe on his name, would you use your word now to make us more like him? And Lord, if there are any in this room today or even watching online uh, at this moment or later uh, who do not yet know you, who do not yet wear the identity child of God, Lord, would you give them the new birth even today through your word and by your spirit in eager and humble anticipation we pray. Amen. You may be seated. One of my absolute favorite uh, Christmas movies, and anytime we have an Advent series, so there's a chance I'm going to be referring to movies quite a bit, so just lock in for that. Uh, but one of my favorite uh, Christmas movies is Home Alone. Uh, and I think it probably one of the ways that, I mean, it is a classic. It is hilarious. The music is wonderful. I think one of the main reasons that it's one of my favorites is because it came out around, uh, I was about the same age as the main character in the film. And his name is um, Kevin McAllister, and he's eight years old. And he's been having a, a rough time with his family. His parents are annoyed with him. His siblings pick on him. His extended family thinks that he is a pest, and they're all staying in his house getting ready for a big Christmas trip overseas. And reacting to feeling mistreated, Kevin attacks his big brother, and he makes this giant mess at dinner, and his mom has to discipline him. And so as she is walking him up the stairs, not just to the second level, but uh, they begin to make the trek up to this scary attic where he is going to spend the night. Kevin says, everyone in this family hates me. And mom says, then maybe you should ask Santa for a new family. Kevin, I don't want another family. I don't want any family. Mom, just stay up there. I don't want to see you again for the rest of the night. I've heard this on Christmas before. Kevin, I don't want to see you again for the rest of my life. And I don't want to see anyone else either. Mom, I hope you don't mean that. You'd feel pretty sad if you woke up tomorrow and you didn't have a family. Kevin, no I wouldn't. Mom, then say it again. Maybe it will happen. Kevin, I hope that I never see any of you jerks again. When the morning, the parents realize that the power went out overnight, their alarm clocks did not go off, and so they are late to get to the airport to fly to Paris. And so they scramble around the house. They count accidentally one of the neighborhood kids as Kevin, and they forget Kevin in the attic, and they're gone on this flight. And so Kevin finally wakes up and his hair is everywhere and he's rubbing his eyes and he comes downstairs and he starts calling for his family and they're not there. And Kevin says, I made my family disappear. And then he grins and says, I made my family disappear. Now, I don't know if you can relate to this. If you've ever wanted to make your natural family disappear, particularly at the holidays, I don't know if you've ever wanted to make your faith family disappear. Because let's be honest and transparent and authentic with one another. Our families, our natural families are complicated and complex and often difficult. And our faith families are the same. 
See, our natural family and our faith family are both made up of sinners, and the local church can be a struggle for us just like any other family. In our time, when people have a struggle with their faith family, when they're dissatisfied with their church, it's more common for people just to go shopping for a new one rather than to remain committed and fight through the discomfort and the difficulty. And certainly there are times where we should, uh, if the Lord calls us, in seasons where we have to go somewhere else because the Lord calls. But often we just throw up our hands and say, I'm done with this, I'm going to shop for something else. What happens with Kevin over the course of Home Alone is he realizes that he loves his family. In their absence, that he misses his family and they love him and they miss him because their bond transcends the difficulties and discomforts of life together. And one of the the many things that this Scripture passage teaches us, and I'll just say that John chapter 1, if we spent every Lord's Day from now until I die or the Lord comes back, we would never exhaust the riches that are in John chapter 1. But one of the many good things that John chapter 1 teaches us is that we have a bond with one another that transcends the difficulties and the discomforts of our life together. In fact, the bond that we have as the family of God transcends all other human bonds. The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle John, says that if we receive Christ, if we believe on His name, He gives us the right to become children of God. So today, if you have received Christ, if you are believing on the name of Jesus, we just finished a series on some of the names of God in the Old Testament. If you are relying on, if you are trusting in Yahweh, Elohim, El Shaddai, Yahweh Yira, Yahweh Shalom, Yahweh Sidkenu, if you are trusting in Emmanuel, God with us, if you belong to Jesus and you are a child of God and we are family. And this passage is clear about the type of family that we are. What kind of family are we as Back Creek Church? Well, first, we're family not of natural descent. We're family, not of natural descent. The people of Israel were privileged and blessed among all people throughout history. Why? Because they had the patriarchs. They had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had the covenant. They had the promises of God. They had the the prophets who declared to them the word of God. They had the priests who acted as mediators between them and God. The people of Israel were the people of God among all the nations. And they were especially privileged. They were a national ethnic, religious people to whom God had literally given everything, including himself. But verse 11 here in John chapter 1 tells us 
that when the fulfillment of all of God's promises, every promise that God made from Genesis 3.15, the offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, all the way to the very last prophecy of Malachi and even into John the Baptist's ministry and all that he declared about Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When the fulfillment of every promise that God ever made, the yes and amen to all of God's covenant promises stood before them in person, his own people did not receive him. Those who naturally descended from the patriarchs, who received the promises and heard the prophets, did not recognize Jesus. I don't know uh, if you know, but today is actually the first day of the festival of Hanukkah. And this is a a celebration among the Jewish people. Uh, And in fact, it's referred to in the New Testament in this gospel. So if you go to uh, John chapter 10, John chapter 10. So just go to the right a few pages to John chapter 10. And starting in verse 22, uh, the festival of Hanukkah is mentioned as the feast of dedication. And maybe you're aware of the story of Hanukkah and maybe you're not. Uh, There are some historical events that we know to be true, but then there's also a legend associated with it, which is celebrated in the festival of Hanukkah. But the historical event was the rededication of the temple because what had happened for God's people in the intertestamental period, so the time between the last prophet and John the Baptist coming as Elijah to prepare a way for the Lord, uh, the people of God really endured a lot of suffering and oppression. And in one of these oppressors was a man named Antiochus who came in with his army and conquered Jerusalem and set up in the very temple, the place of the presence of God with his people, idols. And on the altar in the temple, he sacrificed unclean animals in order to pervert the worship of God's people and their holy place. But among the people of Jerusalem in that time was this family called the Maccabees. Uh, And the Maccabees, Maccabee means hammer. And they started a rebellion against Antiochus. And they stormed in and drove him out of Jerusalem. They tore down his idols in the temple. And they restored what was in the temple to the Lord's rightful worship. And so they were going to rededicate the temple to the Lord. And so as they are lighting the great menorah in the temple, which, by the way, is the light that Jesus refers to when he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life because Jesus himself is the temple. The temple was the sign of God's presence with his people. His name shall be called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. So they go to light the menorah as part of the rededication of the temple of God's people, the place of God's presence. And they only have oil for one night. It needs to burn for their worship and for this celebration of rededication for eight nights, but they only have oil for one night. And the legend part of the story is that God miraculously allowed that one um, serving of oil to last all eight nights of the rededication. And that is why the Jewish people have this feast of dedication. That's why they celebrate Hanukkah. In John chapter 10, verse 22, this festival is referenced. It says, at the time the feast of dedication took place in Jerusalem, it was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. 
So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. These Jewish leaders stood before the person who was the fulfillment of all of God's promises to their fathers. These were the natural descendants of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. They thought that they had a rightful claim to a Messiah who would deliver their people politically from their oppressors. They expected him to be the one who would deliver them from Rome and from all political enemies forever. But that's not what they got. They got a king whose kingdom was not of this world, who came not to liberate them from earthly oppressors, but from spiritual oppressors from our great and true enemy, Satan, from sin and from death forever. Jesus came to liberate us in a way that they could not have possibly imagined. And so even though they were by natural descent, the children of Israel, the children of God and his covenant, they did not receive the fulfillment of God's covenant promises. Instead, they rejected him. And what we see from this text is that, as my grandmother might say, God don't have no grandchildren. You will not have a relationship with God because your mom or your dad did. You will not be saved because of your membership in a church that goes back generations. You will not have eternal life because of your heritage. Yes and amen. The promise that God gives from all the way at the beginning in the Old Testament all the way right up to our day is I will be a God to you and to your children. He doesn't just call us out of our natural families, but with our natural families into his spiritual family. It is undeniable in the scriptures that part of God's redemptive plan is to use our families of natural descent. But... If we are counting on our family line or our heritage or our membership in a group for salvation, we will not be saved. Yes, the promise is for us and for our children. We say it when we baptize a child into this faith family. But our covenant children must receive Christ. And they must believe on His name in order to be saved. And so our bond is not merely the bond of natural descent. I praise God that we have generations of families in our church. What a, what a beautiful testimony to God's faithfulness. 
But we cannot look to natural descent for our place in the family of God. We must look to Christ alone. And what that means for us is that our bond with the family of God is stronger than that of any natural family. We're family not because of natural descent. And we're family not because of natural desire. Verse 13 says that we were born not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Brothers and sisters, you didn't become a part of the family of God because you volunteered. Just like you didn't come into this world by your own will, but by someone else's, you did not come into the family of God by your own will, but by someone else's. The Scriptures tell us that in our natural state, that we are born into this world physically alive, but spiritually dead. That we have hearts of stone. We have no natural desire for God. And we have natural knowledge of God. Romans chapter 1 tells us that God's eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen in what he has made. So all of us, every human being that has ever lived has a fundamental knowledge that there is a God and some of his attributes in creation. But because of our sin nature, that doesn't make us want to run toward our Father. It makes us want to reject Him. We have no natural desire for God. Our wills are not bound to God, but to sin. We want self and sin more than we ever want God. We need God to intervene because you cannot save yourself. You cannot raise yourself from death to life. We are children of God, not because of natural descent, not because of natural desire, but because of supernatural delivery. Supernatural delivery in John chapter 3. So just a couple of chapters from this book. One of the leaders of the Jewish people, religious leaders, comes to Jesus at night so he won't be seen. His name is Nicodemus. And I believe that later on in the New Testament, we have evidence that he became a believer in Christ as Messiah. But Nicodemus says to Jesus, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Jesus doesn't necessarily acknowledge uh, this proclamation. Instead, he says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus, who can only think in earthly terms and earthly bonds, natural descent as he received from his fathers, says, what do you mean? I'm an old man. I can't be born again. Jesus says, you're the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things. You must be born of water and of the Spirit. The reality is that none of us have a natural desire for God. We need a supernatural delivery. We need God to reach into death and bring us up into life. We need God to take out our heart of stone that is unresponsive to God and give us a heart of flesh that has a desire for Jesus as the fulfillment of all of God's promises and our personal Savior and Lord. We must be born of God. None of us had control over our natural birth. None of us said, I want to be born on August 30th. I want to be born to Tommy and Elaine Carr. 
I want to be born at a particular time in a particular way, and I want it to all go smoothly. We weren't some pre-existent soul in eternal space dictating when we wanted to be born. All of that was taken care of by God. And that's why it's really important that Jesus uses the analogy of birth to describe how God brings us into his family. We don't have any control over the way Jesus says it in John chapter 3 is the wind. It's the same word in Greek for wind and spirit, pneuma. The wind, the spirit blows where it will and no one can tell it where to go. If today you have received Jesus Christ, if you are believing on His name, then there was a particular point in time where God reached into death and brought you up to life. Where God reached into your heart of stone and pulled it out and gave you a heart of flesh. There was a point when God transformed you and brought you into His family as you responded in faith and repentance to the message of Jesus. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. How God imparts to human hearts the wonders of His heaven. No ear can hear His coming but in this world of sin where meek souls will receive Him still. The dear Christ enters in. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels their great glad tidings tell, oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. We are the family of God, not because of natural descent or natural desire, but supernatural delivery. God Himself has chosen and called and secured our place in His family. And so this has implications for how we respond to God. We don't just receive Jesus once and then we're done. We don't just believe in His name once and then we are done. Yes, we are born again once. We respond to the gospel in repentance and faith once and God holds on to us forever from that point on. But every day we have an opportunity as the children of God to believe on the name of Christ and to receive Him again. Oh, come to us. Abide with us. Our Lord Emmanuel. And this also has implications for us together. The Scriptures tell us that by faith we are united to Christ. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. We are united to Christ by faith, but what that means is that everyone else who is united to Christ by faith, we are united to them with an inextricable, transcendent, supernatural bond. We are family. And yes, we are family with the historical, global, universal, spiritual family of God. But this local expression, Back Creek Church, we are family. And the whole New Testament, outside of the Gospels, which gives us the story of Jesus and, and Acts that tells us about how the church began to continue the ministry of Jesus is about how the church is to live together as the family of God and testify together to the grace of God. And so Jesus says things like on the night before he was to go to the cross, 
love one another as I have loved you. By this shall everyone know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That same night, he had showed them what that looked like by taking off his tunic and wrapping it around his waist and getting on his knees and washing their feet and saying, so do this for one another. The New Testament tells us that none of us can say to the other, I have no need of you. That all of us are to count one another more significant than ourselves. That we're to outdo one another in showing honor to one another. We have this remarkable family that transcends natural bonds and natural desire that God has brought us into through supernatural delivery. Now, you're going to have opportunities over these next few weeks with your natural families to be with them, complicated though those relationships may be, what would it look like for you, whether they are part of the family of God or not, to love them as Christ has loved you, to wash their feet, to recognize that those who would be first in Christ's kingdom must be very last and choose to give them the best place, to outdo them in showing honor. We'll definitely have those opportunities over the Christmas season to do that with family and friends. But I want to encourage you to use that as a training ground. That's for once a year. This faith family is for every single day of the year. Use your gatherings with your natural family as hard as some of them may be to love or as easy as they may be to love to practice the one another's of the New Testament and use that as a training ground. So that when we come back together, we outdo one another in showing honor and we live together as this local expression of the family of God. To those who did receive him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Behold, what manner of love is this? that we should be called the children of God. But that is who we are. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have made us your children. What, a, what an overwhelming privilege and honor it is to be called your very own. Lord, thank you that we have received all the rights and privileges of your children, that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, that we've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ and have been seated with Him in the heavenly places. That There is no condemnation for us, but that in everything, in everything, your love and joy and hope and peace is with us by your indwelling Spirit, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And that Nothing in all creation, height, depth, width, angels, demons, principalities, sufferings, nothing can separate us from your love. Lord, help us to to love one another as the family of God. Convict us, Lord, of where we have neglected this faith family. Help us to mend offenses, to repent of corporate sins, to seek reconciliation, to reach out to those who are lonely, and Lord, to bless one another. And let us not do this just for a a special season of the year. Lord, make us truly a family. We love you. 
And we thank you, our Father, for our time together in your word, our time together in worship. And we ask your blessing on it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and respond to God's word once more in song.